our mission is to keep the tradition alive. It's up to us. It's our responsibility. Who else is going to do it? Hello, and welcome to episode 212 of the Redbox Report. Your weekly movie podcast where we talk about all the latest Blu-rays and DVDs that have been released on the Redbox platform. I'm your host, Bob Fallon. And with me, as always, is Casey Brady. Wow, you are changing up the intro today. <laughs> well, Ooh, today boy. we are going to take a look at Life, uh, the sci-fi movie of the year. Probably <laughs> not of the year, but um, our top five unexpected deaths. Spoiler alert. Yes. What else we watched? And our new segment, Last Point. Or our last point. We're working on it still. Our last point? Okay, we can start doing our last point. (laughs) Tweaking it, tweaking it. We're getting there. We're getting there. A little bit at a time. But yeah, as you said, life, it's what is most important in the world. Yes. And uh, I feel like there has to be so many different movies that have this title. Yes, so um, I always generic. think of Tree of Life. That's my it movie just, that pops into mind. It sounds like one of those Disney animal documentaries where they kind of they put a narrative to it. Like I don't know, I just it's so generic, such a bad yes. title, in my opinion. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a bad title, not for this film. It, it's it fits pretty well. Yeah, I guess yeah, it's I guess. fine, but. Yeah, I guess we should say we're going to be spoiling this movie because it's just hard not to, especially with our top five. So I feel like, do you agree that maybe we can just give general thoughts, expectations, and then we'll do like a spoiler alert maybe five minutes in? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good to me. Okay, so Life came out, I want to say March, April, same general vicinity as Beauty and the Beast, which we talked about last week. Sitting at a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes, directed by Daniel Espinoza, who has directed Child 44 and Safe House, most notably in the past. It is starring Ryan Reynolds, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Rebecca Ferguson, amongst others. And the IMDb plot synopsis is, A team of scientists aboard the International Space Station discover a rapidly evolving life form that caused extinction on Mars and now threatens the crew and all life on Earth. Now, if that doesn't sound like I just read the IMD plot synopsis for Alien, then I don't know what does. But uh, that's what this movie most reminded me of. But before we get into the movie as a whole, had you heard a lot about this coming in? What were your expectations? Yes. uh, So I had seen the trailer for it, and... Seeing all the great actors and actresses, I was like, wow, this is going to be a good film. Uh, it's not going to let me down like all the other trailers do. So I, I was excited for it. Um, I didn't really – I've over the last two years, I've gotten out of the, the cinephile world, the movie world. Um, so I, don't, I haven't really listened to critics much in the last two years, even in the last couple months. Uh, even in the last couple of weeks getting back into this. So I, I really haven't heard whether it was a good film or a bad film. Uh, so I went in with expectations of it being pretty well made. Yeah, that's pretty much where I was because we've talked about the trailer on here with Prejudgment Day 
around the beginning of the year, maybe Super Bowl era. Uh, and I thought it looked awesome. I thought this, it was a really strong trailer. Uh, we, we, like you said, you got Jake Gyllenhaal, Ryan Reynolds, Rebecca Ferguson, who really burst onto the scene with Mission Impossible Rogue Nation a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. So I was excited about the cast. I thought it looked great. It just seemed like this could be the next great science fiction movie. And actually, I'm a part of a Rotten Tomatoes prediction contest on a movie page on Facebook or whatever. But I actually predicted this movie was going to get like a 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, which, I mean, 67% is still not a terrible score. But even so, like, I feel like a lot of the positive reviews were kind of just like barely positive or barely passing. So... Yeah, big disappointment as far as coming into it with such high expectations. Because overall, I thought it was just okay. It really disappointed me. Yeah, I thought the first half of the film went really well. Um, it, it actually... Uh, there were certain characteristics about the film that I thought were great. And then all of a sudden, in the second half, they went away from those characteristics... And they tried to do certain things that didn't work, and primarily the visuals um, of coming from the point of view of the monster. And so this is a kind of this is a monster film um, that I think they did a great job with the monster, even though it's the small creature that eventually expands and expands uh, and grows and adapts. Um, but the first half of the film, it's never from the point of the, the view of the monster, and then the second half they do several takes or several shots where it's from the point of view of the monster and it just ruins the film. That's not the sole thing that ruins the film, but it is a very large contributing factor. Yeah, I agree with you. That was really weird how they did that. And a lot of the things they set up fairly well, but then just didn't deliver on it. Yeah. I I think the setup of the monster, how they have this little specimen uh, that is starting to learn and starting to grow, and it's kind of friendly, and it's their buddy, uh, and then all of a sudden it attacks, and it grapples onto his hand, and pulls, like it, it does what it does to his hand, which I thought was awesome. Great setup for this monster. Right, yep. Um, and then when they are trying to survive uh, as the monster continuously attacks individuals, they just kind of kept going to the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and it just like it, it got old after 45 minutes 30, 30 to 45 minutes and I think that was one of the biggest problems of this film it's an hour and 44 minutes and yet it felt like a 3 hour film it did it felt long and that's a great point yeah I'd say the first half an hour 45 minutes are pretty good actually and then the middle middle to close to the end were Pretty boring, tough to get through, kind of just repetitive, like you said. And I actually didn't mind the ending. We'll get into it a little bit later once we're in spoilers. But the ending, while being a ripoff of a couple different things, was still somewhat interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a. I had a very large feeling that that was going to be the ending. Yeah. Um, it turned out to be true. I wasn't too upset with it, but. I can see how people would be very displeased. Yeah, I could see that as well. It's kind of... Yeah, we'll get into it. But 
is there anything else you wanted to say non-spoilers before we get into it? I would say, without spoiling anything, uh, that the writers wrote themselves into corners multiple times, and they just fudged their way out of it. Um, the, the writing is, I thought, pretty poor. Um, yeah, I agree. And I, re- I really should have known. I shouldn't have been this excited for this movie, because the director, Daniel Espinoza... Safe House was a mediocre action thriller with Denzel Washington and Ryan Reynolds. So that didn't really inspire me. And then Child 44 with Tom Hardy, I really did not like that movie. It was actually pretty bad in my opinion. So I think the most telling or the biggest predictor in my opinion for how good a movie is going to be is past success of the director, not necessarily the actor. So really, I'm putting this one on my own shoulders as to why... let that is a, that's a really good point, and I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, the audio was a little, was fuzzy there. That's I didn't okay. know you were still talking. But <laughs> you might as well not have been. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think most people, myself included, we look at a movie and go, you know what, that's going to be great based upon the actor or actress. Or the premise, even. It, or the premise. And that is a terrible thing to do. There are certain actors that, yes, you can always do that because they are amazing at picking great films. Right. Or picking great directors. Yes. Um, Tom Cruise. Tom. Well, Tom Cruise is one of the sole exceptions where I think it's uh, largely based upon himself. Um, he somehow, no matter what his personal beliefs are, no matter what he's done out in the real world, he's a fantastic actor He's just, he's so great. He makes you believe his character. He makes you believe the world that he's in. Yeah, I feel um, like he, when he signs on to a movie, he is 100% locked in, giving it his all. He's not a Bruce Willis who's going to just, or a Nicolas Cage, take a crappy movie just to get a paycheck. Yeah, but even if he does take crappy movies, he's which still he's trying. done, he's trying. He, he transcends those movies. I mean, if you look at, uh, what was it, Oblivion? Yep. Um, if you look at what was the the uh, the one that we always used to go to, Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. I mean, that was a, anyone else other than Tom Cruise would have made that movie bad as baloney. Like <laughs> he made it, he made it decent to watch. Yeah, and, and uh, I think it's solely him. Did you see the sequel though? I did not. No. It, it's not as good as the first. I'll say that. Oh um, well. I guess I won't watch, but <laughs> but for the most part, I think you should really look at directors, like you said, and I think writers writers are very very influential. I mean, obviously they are, but in terms of their success, I would almost say writers are more important than the director a lot of the time. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, even like to stick on this point, it doesn't necessarily mean a guy has to be perfect in his career as a director as far as great movies. Like, Denis Villeneuve, uh, Prisoners, was, I think, the first movie of his that I saw. And I liked it. I think we reviewed that on here. We liked it quite a bit. But it wasn't perfect by any means. But there were things about it that really caught your eye. He put his own stamp on it. And then he comes back with Sicario or Enemy. Like, he... Again, not perfect movies, but he does something enough to really capture your attention, or at least mine. And then his best movie, maybe, so far, Arrival, 
was uh, where he did a great job last year. So yeah, did you like Arrival? That uh, Life and Arrival were kind of the two sci-fi movies recently that made big waves. Um, how, how was Arrival? Did you like it? Or I absolutely loved it. I think it's in my top five of the year for 2016. Hmm. I'll have to take a look at it. Uh, you should check it out. It's really good. We That's the episode that we had Rob Sisternino on from uh, Rob Has a Podcast to review that. Oh, yeah. I forgot that you had uh, big celebrities on. Yeah, man. We've gone places since you've been gone, buddy. Yeah, I, I guess I was holding holding you back. <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. No, <laughs> you're fine. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's all I have as far as non-spoilers. Yes. Okay. So, spoiler alert. Yes. We are going to talk about the ending and other events that could ruin the film for you. So, skip ahead if you do not want to hear. Yeah, and also there's going to be spoilers in our top five unsuspected deaths of course so oh yeah yeah <laughs> which this um, could be a part of it but so in the beginning of life i after seeing the trailer most of the the, the trailer tells you what's going to happen right and so as the movie starts and you see that they already get into contact with the monster or the alien i thought immediately okay wow they're going to be bold and they're just going to start like this thriller right away and i was thinking would i like that or would i not like that would i like the monster just to attack immediately within the first five minutes um and i'm not sure but it 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 tricked me because unlike uh what happens in the trailer they try to do a little bit of character development which falls flat you will not remember any of these characters whatsoever um None of them are really etched out. You don't really understand. I mean, you can kind of guess, okay, this character is the biologist. This character is the engineer. But I have no idea what Ryan Reynolds was. Um, Comedic relief. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had, what was his role on the, um, I think the, the mission? I mean, he wasn't the pilot. He wasn't the engineer. He wasn't the doctor. He wasn't the biologist. He wasn't the I, – I, I don't know what he was per se. He was but, the glue that helped him get along and keep a positive energy. That dies very early on. Yeah. Uh, which I'm kind of sad about. I'm, I've started to turn around to Ryan Reynolds. I didn't really like him too much in his early career. I don't think most people did. Um, but he's becoming he's, – he's coming into his own. Um, and so I was kind of a little sad that he died so early. But I do have to say, when the monster attacks, finally, after this growing tension of knowing, oh my gosh, it's going to happen, and the monster breaks, uh, I don't know, what's his name? Arion Bakari? Oh, yeah. He was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, so when his hand gets broken uh, early on as the monster attacks at the, the first occasion, that scene just like the, the tension that's building as the, the monster is holding onto his hand and starting to, to crunch it. I love that. That scene was fantastic. And then after eventually he falls unconscious, the monster lets go and goes and gets something that can eventually bust a, um, can go through the barrier that it's being kept in. 
that's the best scene by far in the movie, and it's all downhill from then. The monster attacks after that, just they're bland. They just keep happening the same way, the same way. Um, some of it doesn't even make sense, such as the alien is able to last outside uh, for like 30, 40, 50 minutes, and then all of a sudden when it gets back in, it can only last without air for like two minutes. Um, so it, the 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 story the story goes downhill drastically after the first um, thirty to forty five minutes. Yeah. Um, do you think I have a question and then I have a comment? Uh, do you think that they rushed into things with the alien species thing creature? Because I like the idea that he's super adaptable and basically just going to survive no matter what. If you try to burn him, he'll become unburnable and fireproof. And if you're going to, you know, he's slowly evolving. But it seemed like it happened so fast that he got to a, almost a peak at that 45-minute mark. And then he's basically just, you know, invincible at that point. Do you think maybe if they would have maybe stretched it out a little bit more, that would have helped? Um... It's it's hard to say. I do think we need way more character development in the beginning. Um, I, I think we need to know who these people were to invest in their lives. But I do think that that it was a good idea to have us meet the creature right away. Yeah. Um, maybe have it becoming hostile later down the road. Uh, then you wouldn't have had to have kept doing the same things for like 75% of the movie. Um, you would have only had to worry about it being malicious for a half or even uh, a third of the movie. But I do think we needed way more character development in the beginning, or at least character setup, not even yes. the development. We don't need development. I mean, it's a short movie um, in a short two, three days. But we need to know these characters more, yeah. and we didn't know them at all. We need to care about these characters' lives so that when they start losing them, it's, like, thrilling. It's not like, okay, who cares? You know, barely know this person. Seen them on screen for two minutes. They haven't taught me anything about them, what they're about. So it's like um, <laughs> they're like red shirts. The whole cast is just red shirts on Star Trek where it's like, okay, this person's dead. What's next? As as far as as like this is clearly an alien ripoff, or at least hugely inspired by Alien, which a lot of sci-fi movies of this ilk are. So it's not that big of a deal. But Alien, at least for the most part, I mean that is a slow burn where you get character development. You you get a, at least invested in these characters. So when they start dying, it's like, oh shit, shit's getting real. But that in this movie, that effect was not there. No, and the the reference to the red shirt is completely accurate. I do have to say the reference to the reanimator in the film, I did like that. Um, that was a nice little touch. I didn't catch that. What was it? Uh, the reanimator. No, but what was the reference? He just mentioned that bringing the monster back to life in the beginning was like the reanimator. Oh, I, I missed that. I did like that movie. Yeah. Shout out to which one of the Screen Verdict guys recommended we watch that. We watched it with uh, Edgar. Edgar recommended it, I think. I don't think so. I think it was either Jonathan Cook or Matt Noble. One of them recommended Broken Flowers. 
The other one, Reanimator. Really? Yeah. Wow, I'll have to take a look. <laughs> we'll check so we it reviewed it with one of them then on the podcast. Yes, absolutely. And it's a lot of fun. That's a fun movie. So that's cool for sure. And as far as Ryan Reynolds, his death scene, like, it's definitely surprising that this big name actor, but it kind of makes sense. Maybe he was filming Deadpool around the same time and he was doing this movie as a favor since he had worked with the guy during Safe House. So, I mean, maybe it should have been a little less surprising than it actually ended up being, but I actually thought that scene was pretty good. Um, he's just a total buffoon, comedic relief, nothing character. And then when he goes in there, that's like the only time his character felt real and, yeah, it didn't last long. Yeah, yeah. I I do think I mean, is, that is what inspired the unexpected deaths, right? Right. Top five. Okay. I was thinking what other death could have possibly been that unexpected. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, that's the best scene in the whole film, that first attack with him uh, and the other uh, biologist. Yeah, for sure. Now... Did you hear about the theory that – have you seen Split? I don't want to spoil anything. No, I have not seen Okay. Split. Well, there is a twist, like most M. Night Shyamalan movies, in Split, where it was a, a movie within a movie in a sense. And there was a theory that the alien life form in this movie was going to be secretly – because I think this movie was put out by Sony. Am I correct? Uh, I want to say it was, but I, I'm not 100% I want to sure. say it was Cerny. But uh, either way, there was a theory that this was a secret Venom prequel where this was going to be the Venom symbiote that attaches to Spider-Man. And the movie was going to end with it just crashing on Earth and then, uh, like, hooking on to Peter Parker or, you know, something like that. Really? That would have been awesome. That would have been, yeah. I feel like if they would have, obviously, at a certain point, that is just not the case. Like once the alien, just imagine if this goo was black and it just like started taking over people, using them as a, like I don't know, like a host, and then discarding their bodies after they were done, and and then the movie ends and it kind of is insinuated that it's the Venom symbiote because they are having a Venom solo movie starring Tom Hardy in a few years so I, I just think that would have been really cool really nice surprise and whoever came up with that theory thanks for getting my hopes up yeah I I don't know if I would have liked that but yeah would have been better than this movie probably but um, let's see let's talk about the ending Yes, yeah, so the big ending, the big, you know, I got duped type of ending. Um, twisty Twisterson. Yes. Uh, so originally, the way it's the the way it happens is that for the monster not to go to Earth, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal decides to get the monster inside of a escape pod. And blast it out into outer space while, um, what is her name? I can't think of the name. Rebecca I'm, Ferguson? Yes. Uh, she gets in on an escape pod and goes to Earth. Um, but in the end, you find out that Jake is the one that gets to Earth um, and the monster as well. Yeah, and basically 
this either they're setting up for a monster movie sequel or insinuating that this is basically the end of the world as we know it. Yes, and I'm hoping that it's not a setup for a sequel. Um, I, I like these kind of endings where it's just oh, it means everyone's dead. Uh, I, I don't like. I don't want it to be a setup at all. <laughs> now, did, now, did you guess that this would happen? It seems very telegraphed. Yes, the way, way they keep showing the inside of the pods and not the outside. Right. Um, you kind of could figure it. Figure it, it. It felt very the mist, right? The ending to the mist, where it's this huge turnabout. It's fair play, like shocking, unexpected. Oh my moment. gosh! Now that you say the mist, that should have been in my top five unexpected deaths. <laughs> oh yeah, mine too, actually. So, just wow. The little, that... Our list will be in honor of that. All right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, there's. A lot of gravity inspiration, I feel like. The end of gravity when she kind of, her pod lands on Earth. It felt like it was going for that feel as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. The whole film, uh, from the very beginning, how the way they, the, the, the camera was that it was trying to make us feel like it was in outer space. And it would float and it would turn upside down as if we were in zero gravity with them. Um it, it, it did feel like it was trying to rip off from Gravity, which I thought they did a, a very bad job trying. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, last thing, for me anyway, is um, what did you think of Gyllenhaal and Ferguson's performances? Um, I thought, for the most part, the acting fell very flat for every single person. Um, I do think they didn't have much to work with in terms of their dialogue. Uh, But it just, no character felt real. None of the actors transcended past the writing. Uh, It it was just so bland. Yeah, uh, they had nothing to work with. I like both of them as actors. I'm a big fan of Jake Gyllenhaal. I have repeatedly said on here that he's like one of the most underrated actors, or at least by myself. Like, I just forget about him, and he's one of the best actors around. Ferguson, I mean, I've only seen her in, like, one or two other things, but um, she's impressed me before. And here, I just, they had they were like complete nothing burgers where they were just going along with the motions. Like, they could have been played by anybody, and it would have been the same thing. They added almost nothing to the, to the characters. And actually, what... I forgot to bring this up from two episodes ago. What did you think of Gyllenhaal's performance in Okja? I I didn't like it. It was uh, one of the characters that were was too cartoonish when I didn't want the movie to be cartoonish based off the first 30 minutes. I agree. It's probably my least favorite Jake Gyllenhaal performance of all time. Yeah, uh, I, I, kinda, I, I would agree. I kind of liked what they were going for with that character where he's just a completely different person on screen and off. But anyway, complete tangent. Uh, yeah, I agree. These were terrible, nothing characters. So not sure why they wasted the money in casting these big actors. Did you have anything else before we get to our scores? No, I said how much money, how much, or how much was the budget? Do you know, I want to say it was in the 50 ish range, but I can look it up real quick. 
uh, in the meantime. Because what I, what I think about, uh, so I talked about how the camera tricks just did not work for me at all, whether it was from the point of view of the monster or when it was trying to float in zero gravity or make us feel like we were floating in zero gravity. Um, but even the look of the space station, the look of the Earth, uh, the outside space environment just looked very mediocre. It looked worse than Gravity, looked worse than, um, what's the other big sci-fi movie of the last decade? Interstellar. Um, it just was not on par visually with these other sci-fi movies, which is, I'm just surprised that that we're downgrading in terms of visual. I mean, even last episode when we talked about um, Beauty, and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast, the visuals weren't up to par. I don't know why we're, we're downgrading because in terms of visuals. Deadpool proved that you don't need this huge budget, which kind of that's one of my biggest faults with Deadpool is it looked as cheap as it actually cost, and it would have been very beneficial to have some more money put into that, but... That's another thing. I think it's just studios trying to get away with um, not having to put in as much to get as much. It, I mean, you can immediately tell, though. Yeah. It looks so much cheaper. The budget was $58 million, and it made $99 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. So, so probably didn't make everything back after advertising. and. I don't know. That's It's close to breaking even, probably slight uh, financial... Uh, red, so not the, obviously not super pleased with the performance either way. Yeah. What would you give it? I give it a seven out of ten. Seven. Wow, you liked it better than me. Then I said a six out of ten. Six. Wow. Just felt very fun. mediocre as it gets. <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean, for me, seven is mediocre. Oh, see, see, a C. <laughs> seven is like a C. For me, so that's like, uh, yeah, C is average as far as the grading score, but for me, seven is like, I actually enjoyed it for the most part. Six is just like, yeah, it was okay, right down the middle. Well, why don't we get into our top five unexpected deaths? Yes. Now, was this our hard list for you to come up with? It was, because I didn't think of the idea until, like, yesterday afternoon. So I really wish I would have had more time to just really rack my brain and uh, do some research on this. But still found some pretty good stuff here. Yeah, I just had a really hard time remembering movies when I was really surprised by a death. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's definitely instances, but it was just, it was it was hard to come up with. Yeah, it's always, I guess it's a, in a way, it's because the first time you see the movie, of course, it could be this huge surprise, then you watch the movie two more times, it's not a surprise, it's kind of just over time, it loses its luster a bit, except if it's a huge, iconic, you know, case. Yeah. Kick it off well, for us. All right, well, I'm going to get into my number five. I had not read the book, so I did not know this was going to happen. If you would have asked me, I would have bet a million dollars this character would never die, ever. And that is Dumbledore in Harry Potter. Yeah, that's a good choice. When he died, 
I just was flabbergasted. I was shocked. My jaw dropped literally. I was stunned. I paused the movie and just sat there like, what just happened? Um, it, it was crazy to me. It was truly crazy that he died. Yeah, you you weren't spoiled by that viral video of a kid <laughs> driving by a bookstore at the like release midnight release yelling Snape kills Dumbledore Snape kills Dumbledore. No, I did not <laughs> uh, see that. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I had read the books, so it was a surprise in the books for sure. If I hadn't read the books, this would definitely be on my list. So like, I thought maybe he was gonna fake his death, and but no, he was dead. For me, the bigger surprise death in the Harry Potter books slash movies is what's uh, Harry's, like, uncle. Parents? Uncle. (laughs) The guy played by Gary Oldman. Sirius Snake. Or Sirius Black. Yeah, Sirius Black. Because he was my favorite character in the books. Wow. And then he died. Spoiler alert. Uh, My number five is from Children of Men. It's that awesome scene where it's the tracking shot in the back of the car when they're driving forward, then they're kind of ambushed and they hit reverse and the bullet shot goes through the window. With Julianne Moore? Kills, kills Julianne Moore in the driver's seat. Just Okay. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a long tracking shot, isn't it? That's yeah. like a five to ten minute tracking shot. It's so good. And that's um, Alfonso Cuaron. That's when he really kind of burst onto the scene as this guy who's going to take risks with the camera and do this kind of stuff. One of the greatest films of all time. It's pretty good. And, yeah, that was a huge surprise because, first, you're so in this scene because of the way it's shot. You are in these characters' heads, and then so is the bullet as it pierces through Julianne Moore's skull. And it's just crazy because she's, like, kind of a bigger name actress for this movie, and... Seemed like she was going to be in it for the long haul, and boom, that just that quick, she's gone. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Thank you, thank you. My number four, and we probably, because like I said, it was hard, so, and I know you had a difficult time. We looked at a lot of the same list, more than likely. Probably. Um, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, when he opens up the bathroom door and Bruce Willis is there to kill him. Um, I mean, that to me was extremely shocking. There's many instances of just when you open up the door or, or, uh, you open up a window and all of a sudden a character gets shot just like in, in, um, oh, what's the other movie with Leonardo and Matt Damon? Um, my number four, The Departed. Yeah, The Departed. I mean, that, that's one of my honorable mentions. There's many instances like that, and so this is my only one where that is the case. But John Travolta dying was just like, wow. Uh, that was never expected in my mind, um, especially that way, especially by Bruce Willis, of all people. Um, yeah, he's such a nice guy. Yeah, I thought he I thought he was going to die by the, the, the gangster, um, Oh, or maybe by um, Marcellus Wiley, Wiley, or by his partner. Yeah, not by Bruce Willis. Yeah, and there's also in Pulp Fiction the scene when Travolta himself accidentally kills a guy in the back seat when his gun just goes off and yeah, blood splatters it, everywhere. So yeah, that's one of the biggest uh, 
Shockers as well. Yeah, so good choice there. Like I said, number four for me is the is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and basically everyone at the end of The Departed. It's like a real death fest there at the end. Surprise death after one after the other. And um, yeah, like you said, it's very similar to the case you cited. And I don't know, just seemed like if anyone was going to make it out alive, it was going to be DiCaprio. Seemed like his movie... And, uh, yeah, he died. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because he was in an elevator, right? Right. With Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the, the door slides open, and boom. Shot. Yeah. Shot to the heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, I would agree with you. Like I said, it's an honorable mention. Fantastic film. And I've used fantastic over the last two episodes way too many times. Um, but my gosh, it's a great film. It's a key word. It's a, it's a trademark. TM. Fantastic TM. Yeah. I like it. Number three. My number three is Julian Moore in Children of Men. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no problem. Uh, more so, I mean, it was a shock that she got killed. Like you said, she's a big act- actress. Uh, and it was fairly, prob- it was pretty early on in the film. So it was really surprising that she died. But I picked it more so because of how amazing that scene was. Yeah. I mean, the tracking, the tracking shot, just oh my gosh, in the car. And it, when you look back at it, and you and you see that it's done all in one take, you have to be amazed. You have to be. The only time I would ever say a shot like that is done better is in uh, what was it before midnight or uh, before sunset. When it was like a like a fifteen minute uh, shot, um, which one was it? Do you remember? I'm not sure, but I would say Children of Men's more impressive just because of everything going on. True, true. In terms of the action and all, it's more impressive to look at. But in terms of technicalities, uh, I would say they're, they're they're similar. But Children of Men takes the cake. With I would compare how- it to uh, Magnolia uh, when they go through the the television station they go all in one shot through the hallways to the elevator up the elevator to the show floor uh it's much more subtle it's subtle but it's it's pretty impressive Mm -hmm. or the scene in true detective episode four never saw it oh incredible (laughs) anyway sorry you're number three i sniped your pick there just like that guy sniped her my number three is Josh Brolin in No Country for Old Men. Because it's not necessarily surprising because this movie's filled with death. Anton Chiga is just a killing machine. It's the fact that this is a protagonist, this is the main character, and it happens off screen. Like you don't even see it. And this is a movie where you see air guns being, or air cattle thingies being shot point blank into people's heads like they're not shy the shocking thing is you just find out he he died like and that's it um i would say yeah the shocking part is that he wasn't on screen but i wouldn't say it's shocking that he died no that's what i mean like because the, the coen brothers clearly know what they're doing i just think it's a subtle way to be creative and indifferent and uh I don't know. I just thought it's interesting that in a movie as violent as this, the main character's death 
you don't even see get to see it. Much in the yeah. way that the movie ends in a non-traditional way as well. One of probably my top 30 films of all time. Nice. So, it's really good. My number two, it's not so much that uh, the it's not the point in time when he dies, but that he's dead at all. Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense. Oh, yes. That's a good choice. Yeah. So, uh, one, out of all like the hundreds of lists that I looked at, I never saw Bruce Willis uh, in The Sixth Sense, which was just surprising because that's one of the biggest shocking twists in film history Yeah, is that he's dead. Um, I remember watching it. I was just like, wow, you got to go back and rewatch everything. Like, it's one of those times that you like. I, I don't. I almost never rewatch a film, but I've rewatched The Sixth Sense because he was dead and needed to see. Well, how were those interactions then? Um, you know, like what what were the true relationships between characters? If he's dead, yeah, it's an awesome movie, and it does hold up at least from my experience on repeat viewing. And that's a top five I don't think we've done that we should look to do sometime down the line. Top five twists. Oh, yeah. That would be fun. So, yeah, that's a great choice. I didn't even think of that. And I'll go ahead and say my number two is from The Godfather Part Two, when Michael Corleone kills his brother Fredo. And it just it takes two movies leading up to this where Fredo is such a total screw-up. He's constantly getting in the way of things. He's just like the, what do you call it, ugly duckling or, you know, the weakest one of the bunch in this powerful crime family. And Michael's all about, you never touch family. You never touch family in the first movie, into the second movie. And he's so cold by the end of the second movie that he kills his own brother in cold blood. Yeah, his transformation over the films, oh, so good. And starting out, I think he was in the military, correct? Right. Um, he's just getting out. He's this war hero. He's awesome. He's great. He's family-oriented. And then he, uh, he is willing to kill his own brother to advance his own yeah. agenda. I don't just, know. Yeah, it's so awesome. But I don't know if I told you. I saw The Godfather in theaters a couple weeks ago uh, for the 20 – or not 20, some anniversary, 45, 50-year anniversary, something like that. And that was an awesome experience to see that in the movie theater. Wow. Thanks for the invite, man. I got invited by my dad, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> it wasn't, like, my idea. But anyway. Yeah, that's a good one, though. That's a good one. I would say, for my number one, uh, the most shocking where I would never have guessed it. Uh, in some of these, you can kind of guess that it's going to happen at some point. Maybe just not when or by who. But Bill Murray in Zombieland. What the heck? <laughs> True, it's Zombieland. It's not one of these, you know, very tense films. But when, like, who would have guessed Bill Murray would have died in that film? Just randomly being shot because he's dressed up as a zombie. Like, I don't know. I mean, his very, very small part is great. It's it's funny, and then all of a sudden he just dies out of nowhere. I I thought about putting this on the list, but 
To me, the reason it doesn't end, it doesn't make the cut is this is clearly a cameo appearance appearance, and like it's hilarious enough that he's in the movie. I don't think I, it just makes sense to kill him there for the joke. In a in a way, so so you, you thought he was going to die when you the first time you were watching it as Bill Murray as Bill Murray. You thought, oh, he's going to get killed. God. No, <laughs> I, I didn't even think he was going to get killed by the zombies. I can't like, remember, I but didn't, I didn't think he was going to die at all. I can't remember he was gonna be the one surviving <laughs> character. In hindsight, I don't remember what I thought, but like looking, just looking at the logistics, it, it makes sense. But I guess that's. Why, uh, you know, in hindsight, 2020 being different, yada, yada. It's it's a good choice. I don't know. Something about it just didn't let me put it on there. I think it just wasn't as intense of a movie as all the others. Maybe. But is my number one? We'll see. My number one is, it's really, I think it's the iconic, at least of modern film history, Iconic surprise death. It's a movie that its opening scene is almost like a mini short film introduction into this world. It's Drew Barrymore answering a phone, being told she's going to get killed, and she does. You think like in Scream? Yeah, it's in the original Scream. Like this, you think Drew Barrymore? I mean, she wasn't as big of a star then as maybe. She was of more recent years, but she was still a name actor, and that's how these horror movies start. Your main character, you know, gets involved in something and then survives at least till close to the end of the movie. But in this case, it's a, it's just like a, a prologue, and the the name actress, the biggest name actress in the bunch, gets killed by the villain right away. <laughs> Um, I don't think it was that surprising. You're crazy. No, nah, it really, it wasn't, like, I mean, I thought she was going to live, sure, but it's like a 30 to 40% chance she was going to die. <laughs> All right, well, it's iconic at least, and I feel like it gets copied, it's been copied a lot. With the yeah. prologue where it shows the villain or the killer or the monster doing its thing, killing someone and then you go on to the the real story start of the story yeah i don't know do you think this is what started that trend i mean i can't be 100 percent sure but i have i have to say it, it has to be right most has likely to it has to be what else could it be uh probably <laughs> three thousand other movies maybe but... i'm not a film historian oh. all right did you have any honorable mentions just every Disney movie where the parents die, which then makes it not surprising because it happens in everyone. I guess, yeah, Mufasa dying. I mean, that's one of the saddest moments in my life. <laughs> yeah. um, yep. It's not, that was a gigantic surprise when I was like an eight-year-old. Uh, Bambi, Frozen. I mean, the list is endless. Yeah. Um, my honorable mention is Eddard Stark. Either. I'm here. All right. Sorry. I think something's wrong either with my mic or your audio system. But, Everything's good yeah. on my end. So. Well, I, I hear like an echo. But oh. anyway. Okay. Okay. Eddard Stark in uh, Game of Thrones. I know it's not a film. Um, and I'm not even saying so much the show. 
the book, when I read that, that's the biggest surprise death in all of entertainment. Um, how do you have the complete main character and someone who is not really sharing the story with other people? I mean, yeah, there's different perspectives and all that fantastic, but Eddard Stark is the most, he is the main character. And yet, at least when I read, I knew there was four or five other books at the time. I think there's uh, probably three or four. Um, how could there possibly be, be more books with the main character dead? Because it's I, the greatest book series ever made. Very close. And but, also, um, it's not even the most surprising death in the books. Yes, it is. Two words. Red Wedding. No, that wasn't. I mean, yeah, that's surprising, sure. But, I mean, after Eddard Stark dies, it's like, oh, everyone is fair game. <laughs> I got used to it by the, by the Red See, Wedding. See, I... I guess I'm just naive because only one of those gave me goosebumps, like literally left me in cold shock and had me fling the book away and put right, it down. You're, for you're two the hours. most overly dramatic <laughs> person in the world. I mean, the Red Wedding, reading it unspoiled, no hints of knowing what was coming, like that was one of the craziest reading experiences of my life. Definitely crazy, but. Not when the main character dies. Very well. And also Red Viper as well. Pretty shocking. No, that was not shocking. You knew it was coming, but it was like a train wreck you didn't want to watch. Anyway, enough spoiling Game of Thrones. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about what else we watched. Got anything? Yes, I do. So I'll say the first one, which is the worst, Yoga Hoosers uh, by... Kevin Smith. Oh. Yeah, it was disgustingly bad. I can't believe I wasted an hour and a half of my life. Um, I honestly think it's the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. It is close to being one of the worst films. And he, like, I don't, I don't get it. It's insane. <laughs> I think he's just, I don't, I don't. I don't know what he's doing. I really just do not understand. He's becoming kind of like Adam Sandler. He's, yeah, he's making films that just him and his friends will like, but I doubt his friends really like it, and I doubt he really likes it. Like, I mean, I can understand, fine, Red State, eh, good parts, didn't love it, fine. Um, Tusk. Tusk. Some people didn't like it. I thought some parts were good, some parts were bad. Whatever, yeah, not not a box office hit, but Yoga Hoosers, come on, like what? The worst idea of a movie, the worst CGI, like it's so bad. It's, uh, I mean, I would have liked it better if it was just those two girls and like a female version of Clerks or something like that. Yeah, and that's kind of what it was in the very beginning. For like First five all, those, minutes. Those, those accents were just. So bad. Oh, God. It's. it's <laughs> like, but it's like that. It's so bad. It's not so bad. It's good. It's not the room. It's not <laughs> Troll Two. It's just so bad, like in a, in the worst way possible. Yeah, yeah. And I did like because I, um, I saw some critics say on Rotten Tomatoes, um, and I, I put up the quote: "If the creators of South Park made it, Yoga Hoosers might have been hysterical." And I completely see that. I that completely 
could be legitimate if South Park. Uh, I, I can't think of their names. Matt Trey, Parker, Trey Stone, and Matt Parker. Yeah, if they would have made it and really infused comedy in it, it could have been funny. But Kevin Smith, just what did he do? Has he switched to harder drugs than marijuana? Because wow. Yeah, it's. <sighs> and I'm next- so disappointed. And the thing is. As a speaker, I still love to listen to his podcast and any speeches he gives. He's great. He's a great storyteller. He really is. And most of the time, his dialogue is top-notch. Top-notch. But it's like, where is like the actual story he's coming from for his movies? Right. It's just, I don't know. That was the strength in all his movies was that you knew at least the script was going to be solid. You're going to have good dialogue at least realistic in a in a comedy way like mm-hmm. that he was so good at that and i i don't know I, i've even quit listening to his podcast and all that like i used to be a pretty big fan and he he's lost me uh, but well, are you ready for the uh, third movie in the true north trilogy moose jaws no no it's basically a straight up Remake of Jaws, but with a moose instead of a, a shark. God. And he also has some kind of horror anthology coming out as well. Well, he didn't he originally come up with the idea of making a movie about Krampus? And I know the movie Krampus did come out. Yeah, I think he pro- one of the first few people that had that idea. I mean, I'm sure you know a lot of people had that idea. I don't, I don't know, but he definitely was was thinking about it until they kind of jumped. Jumped ahead of him there. Mm. So, yeah, that's... Oh, God, I'm so glad and yet so sad that you brought that movie up. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Avoid at all costs. Well, I watched two movies. I'll just get both of them uh, out of the way at the same time. Where we these movies were in the running to be reviewed. is Along the same lines as Beauty and the Beast and Life, we were kind of up in the air between what we were going to do until the last minute, but I watched John Wick Chapter 2 um, which is the sequel to John Wick obviously and uh, yeah, you hadn't seen the original, right? I had not, but I have heard great things about it even uh, the sequel as well which Keanu Reeves hasn't had I mean, he hasn't been on fire for a while now um, so to hear that he's doing good Good work again is is great to hear. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, I'm definitely in the minority when it comes to these movies because we reviewed the first one on here probably a year or two ago. I don't know, probably two years ago when it, after it came out. And I mean, I, I'm trying to look up the Rotten Tomato score as we speak. The first one, the first one had a 85% Rotten Tomato score, and the second one. Got an 89% Rotten Tomatoes score. I gave the first one a 5 out of 10. And I'm giving the second one a 5 out of 10. Wow. Um, I don't get it with these movies. Like, people say it's some of the best action you'll see and gunplay, whatever. I think the movies, these movies are so ugly from just a visual standpoint. It's so dull and drab and... Not even in like an intentionally good way, in my opinion. It doesn't look good. Keanu Reeves, he's been good before. I, I 
he's okay here. He's not great, but like my f- favorite line, and not in a good way, from the first movie is when he's talking. He's just like this emo guy talking to his dog. He's like, "I'll get you some kibble later." And it's just so. <laughs> is he from New Jersey? <laughs> whatever. <laughs> in that weird Keanu depressed voice, I'll get you some kibble later. And it's just so laughably bad. Like, don't get me wrong, the action is great for the first two minutes. And then it's the same thing over and over. It's tap, tap, headshot, tap, tap, headshot. It's it's cool in, in like, small doses, but it's just the same thing over and over. And then they add on this ridiculous, like, criminal underworld backstory lore element that is just so absurd and I can't make heads or tails of it. It's kind of bizarre. and Yeah, I just... I can not necessarily see why people love these movies so much. That's the complete opposite of what I've been yeah, hearing. Everyone. That's kind of why I wanted to review it. Just because... Uh, just to have uh, differing opinions, potentially. But I'll be interested. At least watch the first one. See what you think at some point. But yeah. yeah, hopefully I'll watch it soon. And don't it, like I'm definitely in the minority for these movies, so I know that, and I know I'm probably just missing something. But for me, it just it's it's not doing it. And the other one I watched is A Cure for Wellness, which is Dane DeHaan is the main character. He plays a guy who, God, it's so convoluted this plot, but he plays a guy who's going to investigate the death of a senior person at his company and or he's replacing someone that died mysteriously and he's going to investigate the disappearance of a doctor or a scientist or something and you could tell I love it from the way I'm describing the plot, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he so he's going to look for this doctor, he finds him at this like this hospital or this mental ward kinda place and then he kind of gets wrapped up into it where he tries to leave, he crashes his car, he breaks his leg, he wakes up the next day, and he's in a hospital room at this place, and all this weird stuff starts happening, all these revelations come about. Um, it's directed by the guy who did Rango and some of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Uh, gosh, I got to... Look up his name, Gore Verbinski, who's a pretty good director when it comes to cinematography and visuals. And that continues here. Like, it's a really, it's almost like a horror movie slash psychological thriller. And the horror elements are really creepy. There's definitely some grimy, gross stuff here that will make you squirm a little bit. There's good cinematography to really condone the what's going on in the mind of some of these characters, but as I was just trying so hard to get through this plot description, it's just so convoluted. I just And it's like two and a half hours long, feels even longer. Um, it has good elements to it, but overall, I, it's such a mess. I, I can't recommend it. Uh, <clears throat> I would give it a five and a half out of ten. It does definitely does seem a little convoluted. It is, and it could have made for an interesting review potentially, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of kind of disappointed because I, I thought the trailer looked kind of cool. The way the the Super Bowl trailer made it 
look interesting as all trailers try to do and uh again disappointing well my other movie that i have watched over the week was magnus it is a documentary about magnus carlson by any chance you know who he is bodybuilder no he (laughs) is the number one chess player in the world oh i was gonna say world's strongest man next so that's definitely (laughs) i I guess most yeah most of them are called magnus (laughs) Uh, but this is about magnus carlson the number one chess player in the world it takes you on a journey from when he was about seven eight years old until now where i think he's about 22 or so um and how he has become the greatest chess player possibly in the history of chess uh right now gary kasparov is considered kind of the best ever to have played but magnus has achieved so many records uh that it'll be hard to to top him um he's he maxed out in the ranking system uh which was never thought to really have happened before uh he achieved the number one status so early and it's it's just great documentary though um now i really really like chess so I am very biased in that, and I don't know whether people would like it or not uh, if they don't like chess. But if you do, if you like Magnus, it's a great, great watch. You okay over there? Yeah, sorry. I was killing a bug that was crawling <laughs> towards me on the floor. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, nice uh, to hear you got your, your weekly doc in this week. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's a great... Sh- it's a great view on the way chess was and has been for the last like two decades where it's basically a lot of studying and memorizing all the possible moves in the opening and trying to win through the opening more so than being creative and just being good at chess itself. Whereas Magnus is amazing at, at kind of being intuitive about what moves you should do and figuring it out on his own whereas kind of like the villain and he's not really a villain but kind of the villain of the documentary is this guy who is just he has these computers that have calculated all the different possibilities for every single move um and has memorized the best openings the best like thousand openings um and so it was really hard to beat him because he had the perfect moves for the first six turns you know yeah um, and so it's hard to get past that interesting but, have you yeah uh, this is might seem weird but have you ever played the video game hearthstone uh yes you have what that to me like i'm obsessed with that game i played every single day um that to me is my chess like i feel like it's the perfect so perfect of a finely tuned collectible card game. Uh, and I just feel like there's so much strategy. Like to me, that is, that's even better than chess. Um, I, I, I do like it. I haven't played it very much at all. I have some friends who are obsessed with it and play it every day. Yeah. Um, are really highly ranked in it, but, um, I, I liked it when there was only about like 300 cards because I like that idea of everyone having the same possibilities of creating a deck and who just makes the best. And now it's getting into that realm of well, like magic. Now it's not there because magic is like 20,000 cards. Um, but I just don't like the idea of 
if you have the best, the better cards, then you're going to win. I like the idea that everyone has the same cards, and whoever is the best player wins. I still think it's that because there's there's two ways to play. There's standard and there's wild. Now, wild is what you're talking about, where it's any card that's ever been released and all this stuff, right? But in the standard version, there's only the most recent two seasons of decks are only and the basic are only able to be used. So it's constantly rotating as a way to keep it, you know, a little more fair and you have to work with what you have and I don't know. I think that it's not as bad as, as what you're saying. But in the wild version for sure. I don't know. I'd I hope you should get into it. I, I'm a big fan. I have one deck created that I I use the most, but I'm trying to save up enough points to uh, to make another good deck. That's besides the point. What are we talking about here? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, all right. I have just three more movies. They're all kind of in the same mediocre genre for me this week, but movies that have their pluses and minuses. First up, The Belko Experiment, which is a movie... That was written by James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volumes 1 and 2. It is the story, and again, this is like a really common trope in indie ga- um, games, movies, where it's like set in one location. It's this office building in Central America, South America, one of these these countries where people travel just to work in this company. And one day when they're all in there, Oh, what do you know? They get trapped in the building and a mysterious voice comes over the intercom saying, you must kill two people in the next half an hour or we're going to kill four of you. And, you know, it's kind of this big test, this this thing where they either have to kill each other or they're going to kill them and it turns into like a Hunger Games type of situation and about this human psychology of what would uh, someone do in this situation experiment thing, kind of like the Stanford prison experiment, something like that. Um, It has its moments. It has a pretty solid cast, not necessarily recognizable names, but faces of people I've seen in other things like John McGinley, I believe his name is from scrubs. Um, John McGinley. um, Shit. You would you watch Scrubs, right? Oh, I loved it. John McGinley. Are you talking about Professor Cox? I think so. It's um, I'm looking. It has at it. to be. It has to be, right? Uh, John John McKinley. John McKinley, yeah, yeah. Wendell Dukes in this movie. He he's pretty good, but it's so predictable. But it's it's kind of fun in a the same way that I I'm, why I'm always interested in watching these kinds of movies because. The premise always sounds like it's going to be more interesting than it ends up being. Um, not super creative in its deaths. Definitely could have been better. I give it a 6 out of 10. Yeah, I saw the trailer for it and it just, eh, whatever. Yeah, it's not like bad background noise or just, you know, filler. But definitely not anything to go out of your way for. Next up, I have The Discovery, which is on Netflix. It premiered at Sundance. To fairly decent reviews, and Netflix scooped it up so you can find it on there exclusively. 
This is another interesting premise that kind of disappointed me. This has Robert Redford as a man who discovered, a scientist who discovers that the afterlife is real. He proves that the afterlife is real, and in the ensuing years, for I think it's two years, I can't remember the exact time, but over a certain amount of time, four million people have committed suicide since he proved that Ooh. the afterlife is real, right? So like, that's pretty intriguing. Yeah. And the opening scene of the movie is him being interviewed by someone on camera and saying, do you feel guilty for the people that have killed themselves since you've made this discovery? And he says, no. And then one of like the crew of this production pulls out a gun, says, thank you, doctor, whatever, and shoots himself in the head. And that's how the movie starts. That seems crazy. Yeah. You're saying this is a mediocre film? Yeah, see, that's how... this. And there's, there's certainly interesting aspects to it. It's just... It's so small scale at the end of the day with this great big premise that you could really take a lot of places. I just feel like the place they took it was almost like the smallest place they could take it. It's, it's, Ooh, that's a, I, I like that idea. I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts. I didn't hate it by any means. I definitely liked it better than the Belko Experiment Life and the next movie I would, I'm going to talk about. Like for a while there, I was really invested in – I was like – captured by this movie but then after a certain point i'm like is this really all they're doing like i don't know it's just very i guess indie sundance kind of thing what is it called again the discovery and it's on netflix yes it's on netflix it has rooney mara as well as the guy from forgetting sarah marshall um jason Right? Statham? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel. Yeah. Okay. Jason Siegel. And he's okay in it. Robert Redford's pretty good. Remar is fine. Like, it's not a bad movie by any means. I just, with such an awesome premise, I, I was expecting more. It's only 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's better than that. I would give it a 6.5 out of 10. Uh, yeah, definitely check it out. I'll be interested to hear your thoughts. And lastly, another Netflix exclusive. After premiering at South by Southwest, they scooped this one up. It's Win It All, the Joe Swanberg movie starring John Johnson. What the f- I can't- I'm the worst on air of remembering actors' names. In real life, I can do it. Jake Johnson plays the main character from Drinking Buddies and Jurassic World. He's like a a person who's addicted strongly to gambling. And this premise, is it's so... <laughs> this movie is good. I enjoyed it. It's well done. It's just so predictable. And it, once you hear the plot, you'd probably be able to predict every single thing that happens. He's a gambling addict who... <laughs> this tough guy who's going to jail gives him a a duffel bag and says... I need you to hide this for me. Uh, I'm going to jail. If you don't touch it, just put it somewhere. Forget about it. When I get out, I'll give you $10,000. What do you think is going to happen? Right? He's a gamble person. Oh, he's going to touch it? Yeah. The guy gets out of jail. He tries to find him. <laughs> well, basically, he gets into the money. He needs to 
basically the whole thing is he's using this money to try to make it make some money falls into a hole and like the drama of the movie is is he going to be able to win the money back before the guy gets out of jail yada 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 um like i said jake johnson he's good in this lead role it's well written has a solid script um it's really believable it's like super realistic feeling like all joe swanberg movies it's really well done it's just so predictable and i don't know i just i like the filmmaker he's made some movies that i liked a lot better like drinking buddies and happy christmas i just feel like a better premise whereas the discovery is like this awesome premise that kind of doesn't follow through with execution this is kind of the opposite not a great premise but it, for what it is it's really well done i give it like a light six and a half heavy six out of ten but it has a 92 percent on rotten tomatoes so 92 yeah so who knows you might like it but yeah that's all i've watched so let's get to our final points before yes. we get out of here that was much more natural so maybe we found our our name but uh what is yours my last point is, how do you feel about Idris Elba as Roland in the Dark Tower movie? There's this big thing that's going around. Oh, it's not a big thing, and I shouldn't say that. Um, but a, a lot of times we see movies that are adaptations of books or remakes of older movies where characters that are one race are being substituted for a different race, such as Idris Elba, who is a black actor, playing Roland, who is a white character in the Stephen King uh, series, the Dark Tower series. So basically um, the Johnny Storm effect, when Michael B. Jordan played Human Torch in the latest Fantastic Four movie. Yep, and also like Annie, that happened in Annie as well when they remade Annie, which we covered and we talked about back when I was on the podcast a couple of years ago, uh, and we discussed it. We both had the kind of same opinion, and looking back, I, I'm a little, sh I'm not shocked, but uh, at first we had both said, or at least I had said, I don't remember exactly what you had, but that I, I didn't like the idea of changing characters um, from their original source material, whether it's their race, their gender, any, anything about the source material. I like it to stay the same. Um, but then when I look back, and I, I this has happened so many times, and I look back and I go, oh, you know what? That's not too bad. Um, now, with Idris playing Roland, it's slightly different. I don't know if you ever read the Dark Tower series. I have not. Uh, there's a very big, uh, especially I think it's in the first or second book, uh, big point about race and how there's the, the relationship between Roland and another character named Odetta. Um because he is white and she is black, there is this immense tension and uh, most of the, the plot is based around that. So that being changed makes it so that's not a possible storyline in the movie. Um, so there I think it's very reasonable to say, oh, that could screw things up. Uh, but in most cases, at least in my opinion, I don't think it should matter. I mean, yes, a lot of times with remakes and um, and conversions and adaptations, it's understandable. And like I said, I do it all the time where I go, I'm really attached to the source material and I want it to be the same. Um, 
whether it's black going to white or white going to black or whatever the the issue is i just don't like change much um but i think you know what everyone should just get over it even myself okay i'm not i can't, i don't remember what i said you pro, you might be right you're probably right about what i said in the past it kind of surprises me cuz now i would say I don't care at all. Like, well, I as long as you keep the essence of the character, I don't care. Like, as long as you say, all right, Peter Parker, he as long you can make him a a black woman, black lesbian woman, but as long as you had it be like the essence of that character, I don't care. It's just do it well. Just do the story well. Nowadays, I don't really care. I just want to see good movies, good characters. Keep the essence of the character. You can make them look however you want. I also feel like it depends where you're coming from. Like, in a few weeks down the line, we're going to talk about Ghost in a Shell, which had a kind of similar controversy in a different way, where they whitewashed the character into Scarlett Johansson, and maybe that's a little bit more malicious. I don't know. We'll get, maybe we'll get into that at the time. But, yeah, I don't know. I think it just depends on the intentions of the creators or the studios. And as long as you, you still get the character or the the script right, then I think it's fine. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and like I said, for, for Roland, Idris at first, I, I was like, wow. He's not this kind of cowboy character. If anything, I and this is a big controversy with him possibly being the next James Bond. Everyone's like, oh, he shouldn't be the next James Bond. I think he's a perfect James yeah, Bond. He would be a that great. is like I can't wait to see that. I don't I mean, I don't care that every other James Bond has been white. Idris seems like a James Bond character. Um yeah, I didn't expect Bond. him to really be a cowboy character, which Roland is. Uh, he just doesn't seem like a cowboy. Um, but after seeing the trailer, I think it's going to be fantastic. As much as I've said that, it looks <laughs> awesome. Um, he seems like he is—he's—he's he's fitting the character perfectly. I like I said before, that storyline between him and Odetta can't happen now. Um, I or at least I don't see how it could happen. Um, but. I mean, this is a, I don't, I think a seven book series that they're only going to have one movie, I think. So I doubt that they're not going to have, you know, every single storyline or story arc. Um, but yeah, I, I think Idris is going to be really good as Roland. Yeah, at least I based th- off the trailer. I think he's a great actor. Yeah, maybe he has never played a cowboy yet because he's more of the suave type, right? But I think he's a good enough actor he could pull anything off. I mean, he's he's been in Asgard as like this god type figure. He's been in science fiction movies. He could easily play James Bond. I think he could pull off a cowboy. At least better than Chris Pratt did in uh, Magnificent Seven. So Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the movie. I didn't think the trailer was that great, but I still have faith just because as much as people love those books and the people involved, I have a feeling it's going to be pretty good. I think so. I think one of the big disappointments is that Matthew McConaughey is cast as the man in black, which is a great casting because he fits that role perfectly, but he would also fit Roland just as well, like very well. 
And more oh. race bending. Man in black is a white guy. What the? Oh, yeah, well. No, I'm just kidding. I, he, I don't. He, yeah. <laughs> but, uh. Hey, is he I, a smoke monster? What's going on? <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm excited for it, though. That was I a think. lost reference for the uninformed. All right, what, lost? Oh, oh it's a lost reference. I yeah. think you were saying, Because <laughs> the man in black was the smoke monster. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's all you got? Yep. All right. Well, my last point on this episode is not as as uh, big of a topic. Um, it's digital comics. Um, I, all right. I recently, today, got a free 30-day trial for Marvel Unlimited, which I haven't read a comic book since probably 2009, 2010. Used to be huge into comics would get my box every week or at least once a month with like 20 to 30 different titles and once you get kids and all, and you're married that's just such a time and money sink that you, you just can't I couldn't afford to to feasibly do that anymore but a free 30-day trial of Marvel Unlimited where you get unlimited access I think to every Marvel comic ever released or maybe there's certain cutoffs or things missing I'm not sure but I, on my iPhone, iPhone 7, I downloaded the app. I read six issues, the first six issues of Superior Spider-Man, which was a line from a couple years ago that I heard great things about. And I just want to say, I've been very prejudiced against digital comics. My, you know, as a, I mean, it's a pretty new thing, relatively new. I was completely against it when I was reading comics. I wanted to have the paper in my hand, something physical to hold on to, look at this artwork. But I gotta say, I'm loving this. <laughs> I really enjoy, and maybe they've advanced the technology enough to where they've perfected it, where all you do is you swipe to the right, it zooms in when it needs to zoom in on a panel, it zooms out to get a splash page. It's really well done, and I'm gonna try to use this as much as I can for 30 days, and it's only ten dollars a month after that i might consider staying on for a while to keep keep reading it i didn't know i would have i would have thoughts. to take a look and see if um if you can access all of the the comics even from the very early days because i would like to go ahead and read you know um what do you call it the the, the first comic ever written uh, for Superman and the first well, comic ever written. This is Marvel or, only. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't mean Superman, but like Spider Man or the Hulk or Iron Man, um, whoever. Yeah. I, I, I just want to be able to read the very first comics or the very first issues um, for each of the heroes. Yeah, I'll have to do more investigating. Like I said, I just signed up today, so I haven't had too much time with it yet. But um, yeah, I'm. I've already put a few things that I've missed over the past five to eight years that I want to catch up on, like Civil War II, um, Secret Wars, Secret Warriors. Like, apparently there's some good stuff that I've missed, and it's all anything that I've searched so far is right there and available. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just an interesting thing that I'm way behind the game on, and I'm happy to uh, come around. And anyone can get this free 30-day trial because... All you have to do is use the promo code HOME. I think they're doing it with uh, the release of Spider-Man this weekend or last weekend. And uh, 
yeah, check it out. Give it a shot. See what you think. I'm enjoying it. And let us know. Let me know at least. Let us know what you think if you do try it. Which you can do at the Red Belt Red Box Report at Yahoo.com or follow us on Twitter at the Red Box Report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to our YouTube page. And that's about it. Yep. Well, as always, have a great day. Yeah.